Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice, and we're excited to share they've recently launched dedicated CPU instances. If you have build boxes, CI, CD, video encoding, machine learning, game servers, databases, data mining, or application servers that need to be full duty, 100% CPU all day, every day, then check out Linode's dedicated CPU instances. These instances are fully dedicated and shared with no one else, so there's no CPU steal or compete for these resources with other Linodes. Pricing is very competitive and starts out at 30 bucks a month. Learn more and get started at linode.com slash changelog. Again, linode.com slash changelog. Welcome to Practical AI, a weekly podcast about making artificial intelligence practical, productive, and accessible to everyone. This is where conversations around AI, machine learning, and data science happen. Join the community and Slack with us around various topics of the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Practical AI FM. And now onto the show. Welcome to another fully connected episode of Practical AI, where we're going to keep you fully connected with everything that's happening in the AI community. And we'll also take some time to discuss the latest AI news. We'll dig into learning resources and help you level up your machine learning game. So I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Benson, who is a chief AI strategist with Lockheed Martin RMS APA Innovations. And I'm Daniel Whitenack, a data scientist with SIL International. So uh, how you doing, Chris? Welcome back from your travels. Yeah, thank you very much, Daniel. It's good to be back. I was, uh, as you know, in London recently for the Applied AI Conference that was there. And I... Sounds right within our wheelhouse on practical AI. It definitely was. Uh, I was given the honor of giving the opening keynote, which was a whole lot of fun. I uh, also got to meet some interesting and, and record some interesting people there. So hopefully there may be some episodes coming up that have to do with that. Awesome. Can't wait to hear them. So how about you? What have you been up to? I, I came back from vacation recently. So catching up on all things email and message and all of that. And uh, finally digging into some some projects again. Um, excited to uh, to get a little bit more hands on this week. Excellent. Well, uh, we've had a lot happening since our last episode out there and uh, wanted to uh, kind of dive on into it. Um, a lot of our uh, listeners are, are probably already aware, but you know, we're always talking about uh, AI in the context of uh, different countries are doing and what's happening in the private sector versus government and things like that. And recently, uh, on February 11th, uh, 2019, the White House issued their executive order on maintaining American leadership in artificial intelligence, which uh, is significant because many of us in the AI community uh, and, and beyond had been waiting to hear if the U.S. was going to have a national AI strategy uh, issued from the top level. So it, it is out there. And today we're going to talk about that. Yeah, it's exciting, exciting stuff. Well, maybe exciting stuff. We'll see. <laughs> it, it is. Now, I, uh, I want to do something slightly unusual in that since we're talking about something that is fairly close uh, in some areas to what I do at work, I want to explicitly note that the opinions that I express on the show are strictly my own and they are not in any way representing Lockheed Martin. 
and uh, because I love my job and I want to make sure that everyone knows I'm just speaking for myself. So um, I, w- I probably won't do that very often, but I will on this show. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I was looking through this, you know, when when it came out, uh, the executive order, I uh, there's a lot of different sections of it um, that we'll kind of explore. But it it has things related to policy and principles and objectives and even data and computing resources. Um, What I think is interesting is it seems a little bit like the U.S. is a little bit late to the game with respect to with respect to this executive order. Um, I know on a previous show of ours, you pointed um, you pointed us to an article about artificial intelligence strategies. And I see that they have kind of a timeline on that. It's a medium article we'll link in the show notes. But there have been a whole bunch of these national strategies that have come out around AI from Canada back in 2017, uh, China, Taiwan, um, let's see, France, uh, Australia, Korea. Um, so this is kind of in, in definitely in line with what other countries have been doing. So it wasn't so much of a surprise uh, to see it from our government. I, I don't know about uh, from your perspective, Chris. No, I, I think, I mean, uh, obviously there are many organizations uh, in the private sector, academia, and in the government uh, in terms of various government agencies uh, that have been involved in AI. And, um, and, and many of those organizations, both private and public, uh, have put out AI strategies of their own. But I think all of us have been waiting quite a long time for a national strategy, something at the highest levels of government that, that we're doing. And so uh, now that that is out, uh, we wanted to kind of dissect it and talk about uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly with it. Um, and so I'm kind of looking forward to, to figuring out how it relates to the rest of it here. Yeah, definitely. And, and I know before our show, you did a little bit of research as far as... Um, kind of the origins of the executive order. Um, obviously, being an executive order, it kind of comes from the White House or the, the president. But you kind of found out a little bit more information about who might have had some input here. Do you want to share that? Sure. Just as part of kind of figuring out who might have written the document, I, I'm going to speculate. So I don't have any uh, I don't have any specific knowledge of who wrote it, but I, I was kind of looking around. Uh, I'm guessing that the actual executive order was probably put together by Dr. Lynn Parker, who is the assistant director for artificial intelligence at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. And she would have, if she was that person or whoever was, probably would have had uh, input from a number of senior level U.S. officials, uh, have various interests in technology and, and government policy. One of those was likely uh, Michael Kratzios, uh, who would be the deputy assistant to the president for technology policy at the White House. They may have also uh, gotten some feedback from people at the Department of Defense and, and other agencies. But that I, I don't have any firm knowledge. I was just trying to, as I when I finished the executive order, I thought it was fairly well written in terms of kind of laying out some of the issues. It was written by somebody in the know, but probably somebody without a whole lot of resources at their disposal. Right. Someone that might know really good directions, but might not have the authority to, to actually implement a lot of concrete things. Right. It's kind of, and I say this a little tongue in cheek, if you or I might have written 
uh, written it knowing that we might not have any authority uh, within us to be able to make stuff happen uh, at the top levels of government. Uh, you know, so I, I think it was I think it was well written, all things considered. Um, and I certainly want to note that, in my opinion, I think it has to be a very tough job to be in a government uh, advisement position and understand the implications of some of these technologies without really having a whole lot available to do, to do something with it. And that's a personal opinion. I hold. So um, I, I have some sympathy for whoever did write the EO, uh, the, the executive order on this. Yeah. And I mean, we, we mentioned that a lot of other countries have, have issued these, but uh, I think probably at the top of people's mind is uh, China's recent stance on AI. Even back in 2017, um, they kind of published this whole plan of artificial intelligence development in which they wanted to become the world leader in AI and attach to that a bunch of funding, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about. And kind of as a first step of that, the plan was to catch up with the U.S. on AI technology and applications by 2020. So that's just around the corner. Um, and so I imagine that some of that pressure from uh, from that plan and the uh, immediate goals of it um, also maybe spurred or motivated um, the release of of this document. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think, you know, there, there have been a lot of other countries. We, you named a whole bunch of them earlier that have uh, jumped out there. So uh, uh, like well, like we started the show with, we, we've been waiting for a while on this and uh, at least something is out. Uh, frankly, we might be hoping for some iterations on this down the road, but we'll we'll mm-hmm. see where we go on that. Um, I, I know that you know previously there have been research reports on the state of AI and stuff, uh, but not an overall cohesive agenda that's been laid out at the federal level. Cool. Well, uh, let's maybe jump into what's in the executive order itself, and uh, I'd love to hear some of your perspectives on on that, Chris. In general, kind of overall, there's five major areas of action within the executive order, and we'll of course post links to the executive order itself. And a few articles that we found useful in terms of responding to the executive order. We'll put those in the in the show notes for the episode. So make sure and check those out. Um, But overall, the executive uh, action has five major areas. The first is having federal agencies increase funding for AI research and development. The second is making federal data and computing power more available for AI purposes. The third is setting standards for safe and trustworthy AI. The uh, fourth is training an AI workforce. And the fifth is uh, engaging with international allies with the caveat of protecting the tech from foreign adversaries. So those are kind of the, the five sections um, if you read through, the, uh, read through the executive order. So let's, let's maybe start with this area of AI research and development. So it's definitely clear from the executive order that there is a need to increase research and development activity in AI. What was your thoughts about the, how they presented that in the, in the executive order, Chris? Well, kind of going back to they said many of the right things, but without uh, without the detail that's needed, uh, they kind of laid out the bullet points that I think most of us in the AI world would probably tend to agree to, which is why I do think the actual text was written by somebody uh, in the field uh, and not just maybe a policy person who, who doesn't expect that. But since it doesn't have the detail, it, it, you know, detail usually comes from uh, initiative. It comes from the fact that you're you're wanting to change the game, and to some degree, the R and D says basically 
let's go do R&D without going into specifics on what areas and why it could have done a lot more in that area. And as we go forward, I'll kind of talk a little bit more uh, about it as we get to kind of what's not in the executive order. Yeah, in the objective section, which is section two, you know, first under there is basically they just say promote sustained investment in a AI R&D in collaboration with industry, academia, international partners and allies and all other non-federal entities to generate technological breakthroughs. And of course, they say a few other things related to AI budgeting and other things. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. That they're, they're saying that this is something that we need to pursue, but um, we're relatively light on the details of how that actually is going to happen. So it's good that they're promoting AI R&D. It's not clear at all to me where things will go from there. Sure. And, you know, and, and even going on to, to the next point where they talk about kind of making the federal data and computing power available for AI purposes, as you mentioned before. It, it's very generic talk in it about uh, sharing data models and computing resources with researchers in the private sector. And it notes that agencies are expected to help those researchers access those resources, but it you know, kind of stops at that point. So it, it kind of states the obvious uh, on, what, on what we need to do in the background without making any kind of leap uh, or strong directive in a detailed sense. Yeah, this one was, it, it kind of made me think a little bit because there is a lot of government data available now. And in my experience in working with government data on various projects, it's not so much that it's not available but that it's incredibly hard to work with and access. Um, I don't know if you've worked with government data in, in general and their APIs and such, but for me, it, at least with the ones that I worked with, they were kind of prohibitively slow and hard to, uh, hard to parse and other things, uh, which caused me to have to implement a lot of data caching and all of these sorts of things when I was working with, um, I forget which API I was working with. So I wonder if, you know, I mean, a lot of this data is already available. So I, I'd be curious to note how they are wanting to promote access. I would be skeptical to think that they're going to, you know, improve all of their APIs and, you know, go in, in that direction. It's a very slow process. I, I don't know that they could really do a lot very quickly there. So I'm not sure about the directions that they have in mind, I guess, with that one. Sure. I guess moving on a little bit, they did note that uh, an ethics uh, aspect, which uh, I am glad to see there. Uh, I, it doesn't go, again, into, into great depth, but at least, you know, they, they noted that civil liberties, uh, I think that was mentioned several times uh, in, the, in the piece. And, and so uh, if you compare it to the, what China is doing with their surveillance state, which is very much AI-driven, uh, surveilling uh, and, and having a score uh, associated with every citizen uh, in the in in China, I, I'm glad to see that we are at least keeping that kind of ethical concern over the negative aspects of AI that would be potential. In other words, what bad actors with AI might choose to do. So uh, that was good to see that uh, to to talk about the positive. I just wish they'd gone into more detail. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean it is interesting. I I mean I I have no idea of knowing exactly what our U.S. government is doing, but it is interesting and in kind of uh, how. The U.S. is home to many large organizations that have shown really poor and uh, concerning use of data over the past couple of years. So even though the government might uh, say, oh, we're not going to do this with AI, and, and I hope that they don't do certain things like, uh, you know, utilize facial detection, you know, ex extensively and assign me a score. 
I think one of the interesting things will be if they're actually willing to put regulations in place to help regulate um, those large tech corporations that have been shown to have concerning uh, methodologies around uh, the things that or how they treat data, how they share it, um, how they sell it, all of those sorts of things. So I think I'm, I'm interested in more seeing that intersection of between the private and public sector in terms of in terms of regulation. Yep, I agree with you completely. And, and the, the, the other thing you noted uh, earlier when you were going through the bullets was training workers. Uh, and, you know, essentially, this is calling for educational grants to be established. And, and, and that's great. I, I, I like the, the call for that. Um, and I think that is a useful thing. Uh, I just wish I had seen a little bit more uh, in terms of actual federal commitment to, to going and doing this. I think this is going to be a huge issue going forward. And we have the most transformative technology maybe ever that is going to impact our lives. And so I think, uh, I think the idea of getting the workforce uh, into alignment with this is, is pretty critical. Yeah, after, I mean, we've said this on, many times on the show that not all tech people might end up working as AI practitioners or as researchers, but even, uh, you know, most software engineers are going to be interacting with AI at somewhere in the software stack, and it's going to be a major part of business strategy. And so people that even aren't AI practitioners um, necessarily are going to need some exposure to what AI is, how to interact with it, what the concerns are, um, how these systems work. I think that level of education is something that we we could definitely see some improvement on. So, you know, we've kind of talked about what's uh, what's in the executive order, um, and, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners are hearing a little bit of disappointment across uh, a number of those. So uh, let's kind of cut to the chase and, and let's talk about what we are not seeing in the, exe- uh, in the executive order uh, issued by the White House. Um, and, and I guess to start us off, I'll throw out the idea of what I was hoping to see, uh, given the fact that we are in you know, a, a critical juncture where we're trying to maintain uh, in the U.S. Uh, a, a superior level of AI expertise. And we are identifying in, in this moment, uh, politically speaking, uh, China as, as sort of an adversary in the space is I was hoping to see more of a powerful national vision uh, that would commit the U.S. to maintaining global leadership in the artificial intelligence space. I guess uh, considering just how important this technology is and will continue to be in the future, uh, transforming the world around us, um, not just jobs, but the way we live our lives and stuff. I would love to have seen something along the lines of John Kennedy's moonshot speech to Congress, where he, he uh, in 61, he put the nation on a, a course to land on the moon by the end of the decade, you know, because he recognized how important it was to be a, uh, a leading power in the space race. Um, and so considering that, uh, at least in my own personal view, I think AI is every bit as important to the future of the country and, and, and all countries. Um, I would have loved to have seen something a little bit more powerful than that. Yeah. And uh, I think if we kind of look back to that uh, moonshot speech and kind of the go back to thinking about the, the space race, although I certainly don't want to make it out to where, you know, <laughs> We uh, certainly we don't think on this show that, uh, you know, we as the U.S. are better than uh, Chinese AI researchers or something. Um, And we don't want to promote division. 
But at the same time, um, I would be very excited to see the U.S. Uh, lead in this um, in this area. And similar to kind of the Cold War space race era, um, when they were really pursuing uh, space technology, um, something that was you know directly connected to our advances in that area was funding, right? And as far as this executive order goes, it it kind of lays out that we should be doing a lot of these things, but it doesn't actually allocate any federal funding towards executing this vision. So I feel like if they do really have this vision that we should be leaders in in AI, you know, there has to be funding associated with that, you know, and there has to be a plan for funding associated with that that really isn't found in this executive order. So Daniel, you absolutely called out the elephant in the room. And um, everybody I know that uh, had this interest as, as we do and as our listeners do um, in this area and, and was hoping to see great things, that was the number one comment that I heard from people that I know as we all consume this document was, where's the funding? You know, How can you tell us that this is so important to, um, to America's own interest to be able to drive forward in this area if you're not going to allocate funding to do that. It, you know, to draw the analogy uh, with the moonshot, uh, there was funding uh, made to NASA to be able to accomplish this, uh, this you know, uh, tremendous challenge that President Kennedy uh, issued to the country. Um, and that was not, uh, just to point out, that was, that was not, you know, just a government or military thing. It was a, it was a societal effort. It was something where we're all going together uh, going to go do a great thing. And, and that is, that is what, uh, I, I don't think is, uh, is present in this executive order is there, they, they speak toward things they'd like to do, but there's no funding to drive it. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, I fail to see how the white house is truly leading the way into getting us into the future that we all together need to be in. Um, and so that's my own personal perspective. Yeah. So um, just to kind of make things more specific, really what the executive order does say around funding, uh, at least for, for R&D uh, sorts of things, is it um, asks federal agencies to prioritize research in AI by reallocating resources within their existing budgets. So these federal agencies are already funding uh, research. Yep. Um, so I'm assuming we're talking about the NSF and the DOE and all of these uh, organizations or agencies, I should say, that are already funding research. Um, like when, when I was in my PhD, we were funded by the DOE. Um, so they're already funding certain things. And they're really not saying, you know, you're going to get more money to support AI uh, funding. But we're asking you to prioritize that, which means that funding for other things will obviously uh, go down. The problem is, is that those agencies are already doing that. The ones that have, uh, they have smart people uh, in these agencies and, and they, they have seen AI coming. They have recognized how it could be useful in their own uh, domains. And they're already allocating funds that are existing into there wherever they, they can. So uh, the problem there is that the executive order doesn't change that in any way. It's basically it's basically calling them to calling on them to do something that they're already doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if we if we kind of compare this to China's approach with uh, funding AI, um, we can see that China uh, explicitly is stating that it's spending 150 billion on AI. 
uh, between now and 2030. Um, and then even individual uh, cities, there's certain individual cities that are spending upwards of 15 billion on AI initiatives uh, within the uh, cities. So they're already making that commitment. They're executing on, uh, you know, China is executing on this vision to become uh, leaders in AI and they're putting money behind it. And I think that as you've already stated in the analogy with the space race, I think that trickles down not only to the government and defense organizations, but it trickles down to universities, even, uh, you know, high schools and lower level education where people are really emphasizing uh, STEM education, they're getting uh, educational grants, there's resources available. There's a whole trickle down effect from that money being behind the vision and people uh, being on board with it. Yeah, there's the dichotomy between what China is doing. You know, they, they truly have uh, put a moonshot level initiative into place and they're backing it with the funds. And I truly respect them for doing that. I, I they they clearly get it, and they get it at all level levels of government. And uh, and and frankly, nothing against China at all. I, I think that you know they're doing what I would do if I was in their shoes. I wish that uh, the United States uh, would would take a similar initiative on our side at the same kind of level. I think we will feel the pain down the road if we don't right that boat fairly soon. And I think there's a I wanted to, to recommend, uh, originally uh, I heard about a particular book. It was actually my boss, uh, Matt Tarascio, uh, who actually told me about it. It's called AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. And the book is it's a great book. I highly recommend it. It makes a strong argument that China is probably doing much better than most of us in the West have given them credit for. Um, we really uh, we have a bias in the U.S., about uh, our leadership in AI, as we like to talk about it, um, the book would argue that uh, you know we may not be quite in the leadership position that we think we are, if we're being honest with ourselves. And I think that that is an important point to take home. Whether the book is is exactly on uh, on point or not, uh, it 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 should call us to attention that uh, it is not a foregone conclusion that the United States would automatically be the dominant power uh, in the artificial intelligence domain, um, and so. I think that that is, uh, that is pretty key right there, that uh, we, we really need to do, in my opinion, what China is doing. So uh, uh, I, I think more power to them for, for doing what they think is right. Uh, great people, great country. I just wish we could learn a lesson from the Chinese on that one. Yeah, and I, I think you're really getting at kind of a last point that I've really seen people talk about a lot in, in respect to this executive order. Um, and it really stems from the fact that, you know, we do have this bias in the U.S., many of us, that even the title of the executive order, you know, maintaining uh, leadership in, in AI, um, you know, kind of implies that U.S. natives are the best at the best at AI that there is. But the fact of the matter is some of the most brilliant minds in AI have not come from the U.S., and many of the most brilliant minds in AI that are in the U.S., have immigrated to the US. And so the US, you know, at least in the past has really taken a great stance on importing a lot of great minds into into the country and been open about that, but it's become uh, you know, increasingly hard to get students that come here and study uh, computer science for example, that study AI that are doing AI PhDs. Um, it's it's getting increasingly hard for them to be able to stay here and contribute to U.S.-led uh, companies. I know this is something that uh, OpenAI has talked about a lot. Um, I know it's something that you know has impacted me a lot, seeing 
friends of mine who I was in PhD program with and have worked with over time, just really, uh, you know, not having the desire to stay in the U.S. because of all the the issues around uh, visas and all of those things, and just deciding to either go back to their home country or become AI practitioners in another country. So I think that this this is something that really is at the core of what needs to be addressed for us to maintain uh, leadership. I completely agree with you. I think that there is once upon a time, <laughs> a, few, a few decades back. Uh, Ronald Reagan, another Republican president, uh, used to refer to America as a shining city upon a hill. And and the idea around that was no matter where in the world you were, uh, America had this reputation as being the place where you could, if you're willing to work hard, you could make anything happen. And and accordingly, so many immigrants from around the world that were ready to accept that challenge developed tremendous uh, interest in and loyalty to the United States. And wanted to come here and bring their families here and and help America along, I think that we're at risk of losing that in, in the current climate. Uh, and, and we're now taking some of these great minds that would otherwise love to come and be part of this American experience and and asking them to, to go back to wherever they came from. And of course, they're going to take that expertise with them. Um, so it's not just the, the immigrants that are losing out. It is our country itself that's losing out on these great minds to help us in this next great age where artificial intelligence plays such a major role. Yeah, definitely. Increasingly, um, you know, when it's becoming easier to run a company outside of the major tech hubs, like let's say uh, San Francisco or New York and having a company that's fully distributed and and that sort of thing, there's, it's hard to uh, convince people that, you know, living in, living in San Francisco to create your AI company is really the best choice. Um, especially with all of these uh, visa issues and and all of that. So kind of getting to some overarching general thoughts, um, my my general thoughts on on this executive order are probably not a surprise based on my previous uh, comments in that, you know, I'm kind of skeptical as far as the actual change that will be sparked by the executive order, given that all of the agencies and the uh, companies and the educational organizations already see the advantage of AI and are already making efforts within their own power to promote AI research and development and education. I think the thing that would spark more change would be actual funding um, and next steps. So I'm, I'm skeptical that this executive order on its own will change anything, but I'm definitely hopeful that um, maybe there will be some next steps coming along with it that will provide actionable items like funding and programs and that sort of thing. And I completely agree with what you just said. Um, and, that, and I subscribe to that. I think it's interesting, you know, from that overarching thing to even extend that a little bit. I don't think that this EO will be a major change creator uh, in our country. I think one of the things is there we have so many forward-thinking organizations in the U.S. that have already developed their own AI strategies uh, in the absence of any overarching national ones uh, that have come before. And you know the limitation there is that you know they tend to be within what that organization's domain or purview is, um, as opposed to whether they're in the private sector or government agencies or, or whatever. You know, within the private industry, you know, we have the the obvious names that that all of us associate with the AI world, like Google and Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, you know, and others, and and they have provided public leadership uh, in the AI space since there wasn't something else out there. Um, and and we we should also note that there are many powerhouses in this space, uh, like Baidu and uh, Alibaba and Huawei, Huawei and such that are 
uh, also major powerhouses in this. I know you spent some time in academia, Daniel. I mean, what, what do you think about some of the leadership that we've seen from academia? Yeah, I think that definitely that's still one area where we see a lot of leadership in the AI space from especially places like Stanford, where there's just a, a huge leadership role in academia in, in the U.S. But, uh, you know, that that's gradually changing as well. I think the immigration issue uh, kind of overlaps with that because we're also educating a lot of brilliant AI researchers that aren't staying here. So yeah. even if we have that leadership in academia, which is is great, there's still that issue lingering. Sure. I, it definitely exists there. You know, there, there's one other group, you know, we've talked about some government agencies. I work for Lockheed Martin, so I'm, I'm particularly aware of, of military impacts. You know, in terms of leadership, you know, in 2017, the U.S. Department of Defense published the summary of the 2018 Department of Defense Artificial Intelligence Strategy, uh, subtitled Harnessing AI to Advance Our Security and Prosperity. And they did what other government uh, organizations are doing, where they allocated existing funds uh, into various programs within the Department of Defense that could drive forward. And there are there there has for decades, uh, you know, uh, for, since the start of the internet and before, we have the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which we all call DARPA, uh, and most people, I think, are familiar with that at least a little bit. And they have uh, been funding AI research uh, at a level of about $2 billion over several years. And so that $2 billion is a good uh, pot of money which smart people can dip into and, and try to make things happen in the AI research. And they, they obviously work with the private sector and they work with um, academia quite a lot. And so uh, even though that is a military basis, they, there's a lot of crossover into, into the private uh, industry space. Also, more recently, I should note as I say this, as I talk about DARPA and the next thing, is that working at Lockheed Martin, I, I work, my team actually, the team that I'm on, uh, works directly with DARPA uh, and uh, in terms of implementing AI priorities, as well as this other agency, which is actually a new one. It just came about a few months ago, which is the Joint AI Center. It's called Jake for short, J-A-I-C. Uh, and it's public knowledge that they're, uh, they're, they focus more on applied AI versus the research side. And, uh, and they are funding at $1.7 over five years. I think that was reported by the New York Times recently. And so, um, you know, we, th these organizations are really trying to push forward what we can do uh, in partnership with the private sector and academia. Uh, and, and that's great, but they've been doing this for some time. And once again, you know, they, the DOD, uh, the Department of Defense, uh, far outran uh, the White House in this case. Uh, and so uh, as a private citizen, again, speaking only for myself, I just think it, that should have been reversed. I think it would have been good if the White House had said, hey, this is our national priority and all the government agencies, as well as private industry, uh, you know, kind of patriotically jump on board with stuff. Um, but the best leaders don't follow the crowd. The best leaders get out in front and lead the way. Yeah, for sure. And um, this whole time, I, I read a couple of uh, books on the, the space race era. Um, I forget their titles off the top of my head, but I would recommend if you're interested in this sort of topic around, you know, how a government could effectively promote a, a technological vision. There's a lot of interesting stuff that happened in that time period that I think is relevant here and would recommend reading up on that. Any other comments on the on the executive order uh, generally, Chris? No, I guess uh, I'll, I'll go back to something that I know we both have uh, said several times in this podcast is I would love it if the White House would go back and bring us something a little bit uh, a little bit grander and take a leadership position 
uh, this, for what it's worth, this is, I say this completely in a nonpartisan way, get out there and lead us and lead the world and uh, show the amazing things that we can do with this new technology that's, that's here to stay. So I hope there is a round two uh, of executive order uh, that gives us that AI moonshot. Yeah, me too, for sure. Well, before we jump off of this uh, fully connected episode, um, like we always do at the end of these, we really want to give you some good uh, learning uh, resources so that you can level up your machine learning game, learn more about AI, and particularly as relevant to the topic we discussed. Um, in terms of the topic we discussed today, you know, there's parts of this that overlap with government data and regulation and ethics and kind of general knowledge of AI across uh, across the society. So we wanted to point you first to um, this new course, AI for Everyone from deeplearning.ai. Uh, just came out, I believe this last week um, was when I saw it. But this, I think, would be a great resource if you're one of those people that maybe aren't a practitioner, but you really want to learn more about AI. Um, how it's impacting uh, society and what it actually is beyond the hype. Um, I think that this might be good for you. I think also for us as AI practitioners, this might be a good one to kind of help us learn how to express AI to people that aren't so technical um, and also to point people like uh, managers or um, even acquaintances with this course um, so that we can uh, help people get a better understanding of AI and, um, you know, proper expectations for what AI is, is capable of. You know, and just to note, I agree. I think that is a course that nearly everybody, uh, as it's called AI for everyone, nearly everyone should jump into that. I'm often asked, um, my job title is AI strategist, and that's kind of a new thing that's coming into being these days. And a, a lot of people say, well, how do you do that? Or how do I understand the business side of how AI can be implemented? And a lot of that is understanding where it can be used and being able to communicate effectively what these capabilities are and what the impact is. And a course like that that you just talked about is a great starting point for that. So I would encourage people as well. Yeah. And uh, a couple others that I'll just mention quickly. Um, Intel AI just came out with this article. Again, we'll link all these in the show notes, kind of listing out some of the existing ethics toolkits for AI. So these include things like Dion, which has checklists for uh, data privacy, security, um, IBM Fairness 360, Digital Impact Toolkit, Lime, and others as well that they list out and kind of describe in this article. So I think that would be a good chance for you to look into things that you as a practitioner could go ahead and start making part of your uh, workflow uh, to develop AI responsibly, even uh, in the absence of formal regulation. Then finally, there's a couple links that we'll provide for government data that is available. So of course, there's the federal, in, in the US, there's a federal uh, data portal called data.gov. Also one that I found really useful uh, is a little bit closer to home for me is the uh, city of Chicago data portal, which has uh, just a wealth of data about Chicagoland and um, a lot of different agencies and processes and information about uh, Chicago that, that can be really useful if you're kind of looking into things you can do with public data. So um, definitely recommend to, to check those out. I definitely will. I, I use data.gov regularly, but I haven't seen the Chicago site. So I'm going to go check that out after the show. Awesome. 
Well, uh, thanks for helping me kind of pick apart this uh, executive order, Chris. Um, I hope it was useful for our listeners. If there are additional comments on this or other things that you'd like to have us discuss on the show, um, we'd really love to hear from you. Uh, Reach out to us on our Slack channel. You can join that by going to changelog.com slash community. We're also on LinkedIn under Practical AI. And we'd love to hear from you, um, hear what you're liking and uh, get some feedback and additional topic ideas. So thanks for being part of the of the community. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Practically AI. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor. Go on iTunes, give us a rating, go in your podcast app and favorite it. If you are on Twitter or a social network, share a link with a friend, whatever you got to do, share the show with a friend if you enjoyed it. And bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. And we catch our errors before our users do here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com slash Changelog. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers at Linode.com slash Changelog. Check them out. Support this show. This episode is hosted by Daniel Whitenack and Chris Benson. Editing is done by Tim Smith. The music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at changelaw.com. When you go there, pop in your email address, get our weekly email, keeping you up to date with the news and podcasts for developers in your inbox every single week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.